I guess I disagree with his statement that like uh, looking to the government to fix this problem is like the the only answer because I think that the governments can be part of the problem. And if anything, having these cryptocurrencies and crypto systems in place are a viable threat and hedge against uh, overreaching government. I'm Tor Bear from Enigma, and welcome to Decentralize This. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Decentralize This, presented by Enigma. I'm Tor Bear, I'm the head of growth for Enigma, and today I am excited to be talking with Josh Cincinnati. Josh is the executive director of the Zcash Foundation, which is a nonprofit that's focused on financial privacy and, in particular, serving users of the Zcash protocol. Zcash itself is a digital currency that provides enhanced privacy for users. Neither the Zcash Foundation or the currency is to be confused with Zcash, the company, which recently rebranded itself as the Electric Coin Company, not quite in time for this podcast recording. All of this can be a little confusing, uh, but fortunately, Josh helps me break down these definitions and relationships, as well as the mission of the Zcash Foundation on this podcast. On this episode, Josh is going to talk about the purpose of foundations and Zcash Foundation in particular, how he thinks about privacy for individuals, how to get millions of people actually using Zcash and other decentralized technologies, and why we should still have trust in blockchain technology, even if experts like Bruce Schneier uh, are skeptics. So uh, Josh is a really intelligent guy. Uh, I was extremely grateful to have so much of his time and attention, uh, especially when it comes to topics like privacy. Zcash is doing some really groundbreaking work and really driving global adoption, which, as you know, is a the theme of this podcast. So without any further introduction, I am very pleased to introduce Josh Cincinnati. Josh, welcome to Decentralize This. I am thrilled to have you on. Thrilled to be here, Tor. Thanks for having me. We're going to start this episode the same way we start every other episode. Who is Josh Cincinnati personally, professionally? Who are you? Uh, so personally, I, I, I like to believe I'm one of the funnier people on crypto Twitter, but I, I don't really hold that mantle. <laughs> There's just too many good choices there. But, you know, I, I try. Um, uh, professionally, I'm the executive director of the Zcash Foundation, a, a U.S.-based 501c3 uh, nonprofit obviously associated with Zcash, the protocol. Um, and I've been deeply involved in, um, in cryptocurrencies uh, for, I'd say, better part of like six years now. Um, so I, I love the space. I love the industry. And uh, I'm just happy that I get to be part of it, to be honest. Yeah, me too, man. It's, yeah. uh, it's never dull. Yeah, that's uh, for and sure. You're working on, and you're working on a very interesting protocol product uh, organization in particular. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening might be familiar with Zcash, but since we have the opportunity, maybe in your own words, what is Zcash, the actual protocol or the actual product? Yeah. So, so Zcash started, um, really it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the progenitor was, uh, uh, an academic paper about, uh, trying to add privacy to, to Bitcoin. Um, and that was, uh, uh, published as as the zero coin paper, um, I think I might be getting my years wrong here, but it might be might have been 2014. And then they they updated the paper with a new protocol, uh, a, a new protocol design in 2015, and called it zero cash. And uh, basically, the, the Zcash protocol is the embodiment uh, of that uh, initial um, of that initial paper. Uh, and it was formed uh, in a rather interesting way, and I think novel, particularly for its time, maybe less novel. Um, now that others have have kind of emulated this model, but uh, basically the folks behind the, the paper partnered with um, uh, some some folks in industry and and came up with this design wherein there would be a um, founder's reward as part of the protocol. Uh, and the idea behind that was to incentivize further development and to uh, uh, and to avoid. Um, you know, avoid all of the monetary reward from the initial part of Zcash's distribution going uh, strictly just to to miners. Um, so the the idea being that it would be a sustainable path forward to uh, further development of the protocol. Uh, and 
Uh, and the foundation is actually one of the, so we're not a direct beneficiary of that founder's reward, but uh, we uh, have received pledged uh, grants from people who were uh, direct recipients of the founder's reward. Um, and so in aggregate, we've been pledged something like 260,000 uh, ZEC, Zcash. Um, we've, um, we've spent a little bit of it uh, and we're going to be spending a lot more of it as we continue to grow. Um, but the idea uh, when, when the folks got together to create the Zcash Foundation is um, there's a sort of a recognition as, as they put the, you know, this, the setup in place that, you know, the predominant uh, beneficiary was this for-profit entity called uh, commonly known as the Zcash company. Um, and those, uh, the folks that, that pledged uh, money for the formation of the foundation recognized the benefit to having, uh, multiple stakeholders with a slightly different incentive model. So instead of it just being a single company that might control the direction of uh, protocol of the protocol and the protocol development, um, there would be uh, this other entity and hopefully more stakeholders down the line, but uh, at least one other entity funded by the uh, recipients of the founders reward to act as kind of a, a counterbalance and and uh, equal uh, equal stakeholder to the company. And we're not there yet, but we're 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 getting there. Yeah, I want to I want to ask you about that a bit because obviously. In in this space, there's a lot of different kinds of ways that you can structure uh, the ecosystem that supports these protocols, right? Some some have this founder's reward, some don't. I mean, you you can debate all day like what's good and what's bad, but we're not we're not on this podcast to make value judgments more generally. It's just to kind of understand why particular people have made particular decisions. So in the case of the Zcash Foundation and what you're saying, people are, are, are commonly familiar with the, the as, as the Zcash company. What's what's the full name? It's the uh, the Zero Coin Electric Coin Company I'm, I is love the that. full name of the company. I know. It's really fun, isn't it? I love it. It just rolls off the tongue. So yeah, what, yeah. in your in your mind, if mm-hmm. if you had to describe the difference maybe between the mission of the of the foundation, mm-hmm. which which you're overseeing, mm-hmm. and the mission of you know, Zcash, the company, mm-hmm. what, what's the primary difference? Cause it seems like on a values basis, there's mm-hmm. a lot of overlap, but maybe you're saying yeah. not on the mission. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, even on the mission, there's definitely overlap because, uh, obviously, uh, you know, we, we're both here to support the Zcash protocol, um, and it's, and it's development and further research on it. Um, I mean, I think the difference is like who, who we really answer to. Um, and that's, uh, and that's kind of structured, uh, on, based off of the way that these organizations are, are structured and even just coming down to like what a, a for-profit business is, is uh, structured like and what a, a non-profit public charity is structured like in the U.S. So in um, in the case of the Zcash company, uh, you know, there's obviously like a, a tremendous amount of their success uh, is tied up with the value that they bring to the Zcash protocol. But they also have to answer to uh, their stockholders and the people that uh, are owners of of that company. Um, in the case of the foundation, uh, you know we have a mission to um, uh, you know build and protect uh, privacy preserving financial protocols, primarily Zcash. Um, but our our mission is really it's uh, our stakeholders are um, it, you know are are effectively uh, the broader community and people that want to see privacy um, added to uh, you know add, or added and enhanced to Zcash, which you know, as it currently exists today, and, and just more generally across other uh, other cryptocurrencies as well. Um, so we have kind of um, you know there are cases where uh, the company and this hasn't really happened yet, but I can kind of envision this happening where. Um, the company might have, uh, you know, design decision that they want to make that is uh, that certainly benefits the community, but in their view, uh, is also, uh, uh, you know, something that's uh, beneficial to their uh, to their shareholders. And it might be that the broader community uh, doesn't want that decision or or wants push wants to push back on it and the development of the protocol. And that's where uh, the the foundation and, and company may have some amicable disagreements about it. And my hope is that. Uh, those disagreements will lead to uh, better outcomes for the community of users uh, and ecosystem participants in the Zcash protocol as a whole. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. And as you're saying, it hasn't really like you know push hasn't really come to shove. Obviously, there's so much no, not between yet. the between the people 
that are involved in this early stage. And of course, there's even alignment, you know, outside of the foundation and the company. Obviously, I'm personally and professionally with Enigma aligned with what you guys are trying to do on on the privacy side. So it it seems like you guys have a broad enough mission and and an inclusive mission, at least to people who care about privacy. So given that I, I come in with a bit of a bias on this, but I, I'll, I'll let you answer the question beyond me. Why privacy? Like why, why is it actually important specifically in the way that Zcash is implementing privacy solutions? Why should we be caring about this versus you know just Bitcoin on its own? Like why, why was that paper even written? Why did we need privacy for Bitcoin? I think one of the one of the things that has become exceedingly clear, um, especially in recent in recent years, as, as you know from your work, uh, you know on the on the Enigma side, but um, the the overreach of of governments and corporations uh, in various aspects of of our lives um, is something that is uh, becoming, uh, uh, frankly, more more and more frightening as as time goes on. And uh, one of the things that I think has been kind of a common realization. Um, for, for loads of people is that uh, privacy is a fundamental, you know, human right, or at least it should be. Uh, and previously, like, uh, there were, uh, in, in a way you, you almost had like this technological structure for privacy because technology didn't exist to invade on people's privacy that much. You know, if you were, if you were like on the frontier in the, in the mid 1800s of the U S and you were minding your own business, uh, you know, on your, uh, you know, thousand acres in the middle of uh, uh, somewhere west of the Mississippi, like you had all the privacy you could want because no one really could, uh, could come and, and, uh, and, and invade it really, you know, and, and have this kind of like constant surveillance. And um, with the rise of, of uh, all of this surveillance technology, which, you know, has also been obviously a, a boon for productivity and all uh, the various evolutions of technology. It's great that we have all this stuff, but but the 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 sort of uh, second edge of that sword is that um, it's become exceedingly easy to do just massive massive amounts of surveillance. Um, and I I think from you know my perspective, um, privacy is is something that uh, we've kind of lost in in the advancement of technology and. Uh, particularly with with uh, um, you know uh, financial transactions and social media uh, data and and uh, all of our interactions with uh, with um, you know our friends and colleagues like it just feels like all of that has just sort of slipped away um, and the goal of of you know Zcash and uh, and you know your namesake <laughs> Tor um, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, uh, and, and Monero and, and Grin and privacy enhancements and Bitcoin and Ethereum and, uh, and all of these, um, uh, you know, amazing initiatives uh, that, are, that are going on. I think it, it's to reclaim that um, structural privacy that we actually had for this fleeting moment of time before technology made it uh, so much easier for, for people to, um, uh, to invade it. And, and to, you know, to... Um, to kind of speak as to why privacy is important, you know, why is it a fundamental human right is probably the, the sort of leading question there. Um, I, I think it's it's a fundamental right because uh, we have existed uh, in various stages of human history where um, uh, where our, our governments and authorities and and companies have made uh, what I would call sub suboptimal and sometimes very unethical and downright evil um, uh, decisions that have impacted. Uh, you know, millions and uh, millions of lives. Uh, oftentimes, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, when you're when you're talking about the in, invasion and, and systemic uh, uh, categorization of of people and in various genocides, it's led to death, right? Uh, and and that and that's that scares me, right? That 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 was uh, that that was possible and that that happened not so long ago in our history, and that it, in some places of the world it continues to happen. Um, and so having uh, structural technological advantage uh, and and basically ensuring that it's possible for people to maintain their privacy to me uh, it seems like a, a moral imperative um, and then the other you know the other piece to that I think is is uh, there's also this sort of sense of like um, e- equality of opportunity as well one of the things that I like to harp on particularly when it comes to financial privacy is if you're wealthy enough if you're super super rich, you already have financial privacy because you have 
like dozens of shell companies in various different, um, uh, you know, various different uh, uh, legal uh, uh, legal structures and countries that enable you to uh, effectively obfuscate most of your wealth. Um, and you know, for for a lot of people, that kind of financial privacy is completely out of reach. Um, so if you can make technology that enables people to uh, basically have that without having to be a billionaire, um, that to me is a, is a more just society to live in, to have that kind of opportunity. That's that's something that Jameson Lopp talked about when he came on the show was this idea that you know this the cost of privacy right now is very much borne by individuals. And there's some people who are exceptionally well positioned to pay that cost as 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 we're saying, you know, especially if you have yachts and shell companies and the like. And there's some people that aren't, which is the everyday person who who seems to be uh ultimately the victim of of as you're saying like this this is just the way that technology has gone. And and maybe technologies like Zcash, like Enigma, are, are sort of the counterbalancing forces, pushing pushing us back to something that's more. The word I use a lot is sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like if if things continue on this path, like what what do you think happens? Like let's say surveillance gets worse and worse. Let's say tomorrow, you know, Zcash gets outlawed and no one can ever use it. I mean, that wouldn't necessarily stop anybody, but let's just assume it disappeared. Like if this all just kind of goes to its logical conclusion mm-hmm. you know what what are the biggest risks that we have when when we give up all of this privacy like where where's the end state is it orwell or is it something worse I, I mean i think it's actually like the worst parts of orwell mixed with the worst parts of uh you know huxley it's it's just um the bravest of new worlds yeah yeah exactly like you'll you'll wind up in this state where uh assuming that you and and you know i i know that's it's kind of um uh, it's a bit of a stereotype to to quote these uh, or to to cite these sources, but if you look a little bit at like uh, some of the Black Mirror episodes, you know, on Netflix or um, uh, or even uh, you know just where China is moving with their social credit system, you wind up in this like bizarro world where um, as long as you abide by the rules of whatever the overarching system is, well, yeah, you'll you'll be fine. You'll have um, you know you'll be able to get priority boarding on your flights, you'll get expedited visas out of the country in the case of China. Um, you know, your social credit score might uh, influence uh, your ability to, ha- yeah, I mean, it's, but it's crazy, right? Because um, ultimately, uh, now, now, of course, like uh, people say, well, that could never happen in the US, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of a worried that it already has to some degree, but it's, it's happened uh, not within the purview of a, a giant authoritarian company or a, uh, rather, sorry, a giant authoritarian government in the case of China, but it's happened to the collection of, you know, oligop- oligopolistic, excuse me, uh, tech companies. Um, and, and in either case, it's like, it, it'll have a chilling effect on, um, on honestly, like on just, uh, on culture and on, on people's individual freedom. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think that one of the, um, you know, cornerstones of at least American society is this is uh, is obviously this right to free speech. Um, and I think in no other place in the world, America's got a lot of issues. Don't get me wrong. I say this as an American, uh, like we've got we've got a lot, we've got a lot of stuff to figure it out. But um, but one of the things that has been an extremely strong um, socially enforced uh, and and legally reinforced, um, you know, a more is this idea that we uh, we really have a protected right to speech. Um, and the more and more that these these mass surveillance and uh, you know these these invasive um, forms of data collection take over, uh, you know you you'll be able to potentially live in an America with uh, this this right to free speech, but um, no one will exercise it for fear of of falling out of whatever the system uh, you know will enable them to do. And that's just going to lead to this sort of, monolithic, uh, homogenous, um, and, and sort of, in my view, sad society where people won't challenge, uh, some of these, uh, you know, they won't challenge the system and that's where, uh, real, real progress happens. And, you know, there's good and bad to that, obviously, like protecting free speech means like the, you know, the ACLU had to defend a bunch of, uh, a bunch of neo-Nazis and speaking as a, a Jewish person, I don't like what they have to say most of the time. Um, but, I think that the concept of of um, protecting speech in general is uh, is a very important one, and and when that privacy is 
uh, your your ability to have um, you know private bilateral discussions with users, private bilateral financial transactions. When that when that goes away, and you have to start appealing to this overarching system, um, that'll be a real that'll be a real sad day for humanity if that becomes a global phenomenon. You know. Let me give you let me give you a fun opportunity then. Sure. Because one of our one of our last guests was was somebody that you and I both respect quite a bit, and that was uh, Bruce Schneier. Who's you know on the board of the EFF and Tor project and yeah. researches you know security and privacy very very heavily, and his position, uh, and maybe this makes sense. Uh, he's at Berkman Klein's researching policy. You know his position is that governments are going to play a massive role in in saving us from the inevitable. Uh, I don't know if attacks is the right word, but you know we're we're eroding privacy protections for mm-hmm. individuals over time. There's there's some pressure, of course, from governments, but there's also massive pressure from tech companies themselves who haven't really been regulated on this front. Sure. And he simultaneously, although uh, a little bit after we recorded our conversation, mm-hmm. published a, a piece in Wired. Oh where, yeah, I read it. Yeah, and yeah. you must have read it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where he sort yeah. of says that uh, blockchain is useless and pointless, and yeah. can't really solve any of these problems. He's he's seeing like you know the threats to our privacy and security as systemic risks beyond just like privacy of the individual, but just like we've connected everything in the world to each other, and now somebody somewhere can hack something, and all of our you know nuclear power plants will implode, and our electric grids will shut down, and like we've created essentially existential risk. Uh, I understand his position. I understand why that's a concern for him. I am alive and would like to continue to exist. But (laughs) I'm going to give you the enviable uh, position of being able to respond to to (laughs) Bruce. And like, so what do you think of this? Because it sounds like you are saying as as Zcash and as Josh, Mm -hmm. there is a role for tech-focused companies, right? Not like oligopoly tech companies, but somebody like a Zcash to come in, create something new, solve some real problems, and restore power to individuals. Uh, this might be kind of in contrast to what Bruce is saying. What do you think he's missed, or you know, are, are these really just two sides of the same coin? So I okay. Well, I, I guess I should start by saying, uh, you know, I don't know that I, uh, I don't, I don't really generally feel qualified to um, to challenge Bruce's opinion on anything. I don't generally. think anybody but, really is. That's why it's so fun to do. Yeah, that's true. Um, I will say that that what's funny about the article that he wrote, particularly when it comes to everything like cryptocurrency related, is like. Uh, you know, in in a way, um, there there's a call out in the article where where he said something like, um, and I'm paraphrasing here. It's like cryptocurrencies are useless unless you are involved in like illegal money transmission activities or uh, drug dealing or um, or you want to get across borders easily. You know, you want your finances to get across borders borders easily. And, and then he proceeded to call the, the entire enterprise um, useless. And, and I actually, I mean, what's, what's funny is that like he, you know, he's not, he's not wrong, but what he doesn't, I think he doesn't take the next step in considering like, well, yeah, that might seem like that's a, that's a terrible use case for people in the U S with a stable financial infrastructure and with a government that doesn't tend to censor most financial transactions. But uh, what if you live in a government that has a very broad definition of what uh, money laundering might be or uh, illicit transfers might be? What if you're in North Korea and even sending money to family in South Korea or, or get receiving money uh, or goods from someone in South Korea is is viewed as like a treasonable um, you know offense, right? Uh, and and I think what's what's interesting to me is like you know he's not actually technically wrong, but he I, I think he um, fails in in that article to view the threat of 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 governments really becoming um far too powerful and far too draconian in their approach to what people can and can't do and he also fails to see uh, in my view like what could happen when there's enough regulatory capture by large uh large companies where uh, those companies might create moats that uh, protect their profit line, but also restrict people's freedom of, um, uh, you know, freedom of, of of financial privacy. So I, I'm. Um, it's funny. It's like I, I don't I don't disagree with them necessarily, but I just I guess I disagree with his statement that like governments solely uh, 
looking to the government to fix this problem is like the the only answer because I think that the governments can be part of the problem. And if anything, having these cryptocurrencies and crypto systems in place are, uh, you know, they're a, a viable threat and hedge against uh, overreaching government. And even if you don't have to use uh, use it, the fact that those tools exist to um, keep the government honest, it's kind of like uh, the checks and balances that the that we have within our government today. Uh, it's just that another check and balance is appearing, and that's going to be the check and balance of uh, sovereign private individuals with this technology uh, enabling them to uh, to basically uh, work outside of the normal systems uh, that that exist today, and I, I think that's a very viable, um, you know, it's a viable uh, strategy to ensure that the government stays honest. And and you know, to to his to his point, like I, I do think it's important. Uh, I'm not like you know, I I love a lot of the cypherpunk ideology, but I'm not, um, you know, I don't have my head in the sand about the value of trying to change the government within the systems that we have today. And I think it's still valuable for us to attempt to, um, uh, to, to engage in that change and to, to make sure that uh, governments don't make these things uh, illegal. Um, but, but if, if they do, I think it's still important for this stuff to exist, you know? So I, I would say it's more of like a two pronged approach there. Yeah. Or three or four prongs. I mean, yeah. you're, you're yeah. kind of, you're framing the problem well, which is that, you know, Governments do have a role to play in policing tech companies that have eroded privacy protections, but the mm -hmm. governments can sort of corrupt in the same sort of yeah. way or, as you said, regulatory capture, you know, revolving door between the tech companies now becoming, uh, you know, playing major roles in new administrations or, or whatever mm -hmm. it is or, or running mm -hmm. the FCC. Uh, this stuff is is already happening, so it's it's a little unreasonable to pretend that it's not or that that's not also a threat. Um, but at the same time, a pragmatist such as yourself would say, if we don't give you know some, if, if we don't allow the government to play a major role in building some solutions to some of these problems that we face, mm -hmm. then will we actually accomplish anything in time to mitigate these threats or you know like cryptocurrency? You know, blockchain, the whole space, still very nascent, still sure. haven't reached scale. That's kind of the theme yeah. of this podcast is that we haven't reached scale in any of these technologies, you yeah. know, and I think you would agree with me, but now is your chance to say not. Um, in the meantime, as we're testing these things, first of all, we want to be able to keep testing these things. Uh, yeah. And second of all, we shouldn't be solely relying on these things to solve the problem because they may not scale at the rate that they will need to. To be the only solution to these problems that, as a society, as as uh, as a world, we're facing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with that, and it's really, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's it's uh, I think emblematic of of the uh, of the ideas behind having. Uh, and I know it's it's like an amorphously defined term of like what is decentralization and what is it what does it really mean? But um, in one sense, it's about really like redundancy and fallover, right? Like, so being able to have, uh, you know, approach, uh, have, have approaches with the government that ensure that the, that these privacy overreaches don't happen, uh, make sure that the government themselves is not as, as much as you can within the current system of government, make sure that they're not uh, overstepping their bounds. And, um, and just in case they do right, have a fallover in this technology that will, uh, that, you know, uh, right now is quite nascent, but in the future might be, um, you know, an, a, le a legitimate, fully functioning financial system that doesn't have to uh, operate within the bounds of um, of of most, uh, uh, you know, of most countries or borders, and and uh, and make sure that that system exists so that people can voluntarily exit uh, authoritarian uh, authoritarian government systems that that don't live up to you know their. Um, uh, to their responsibility uh, to to the people that they govern. Let me bring up one precise uh, example of regulation and how it relates to Zcash because sure. Zcash wrote recently, and I, I confess I don't know who wrote it exactly, who, whom in the Zcash uh, ecosystem, mm -hmm. uh, but it was an article about how Zcash transactions are GDPR compliant by default. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's it. like GDPR is a regulation, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's not a global regulation just yet. But mm -hmm. it's interesting because not only are we making the claim that these transactions are GDPR compliant, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. why make that claim? You know, like, why mm -hmm. is it so important to communicate that claim? And then also maybe explain to me if you do know, it's like, mm -hmm. why, why is that claim true? 
Mm-hmm. Well, so I actually, uh, uh, I think that was on the Zcash company side because I have not, uh, I've not read that particular article yet. Um, oh, but it's fascinating. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to read it because I didn't I didn't realize that came out. Uh, uh, you've caught me at a loss, but but I can say like my assumption, um, and and it, and this is based again on my I'm not a lawyer, but it's my rudimentary understanding of what uh, GDPR requires. Um, but but basically, like if you're collecting data, you have responsibilities to the end user about the data that you're collecting, right? Right. Um, and that responsibility might include. Um, you know, full providence about what happens to that data after the fact. If you're if you're an exchange, for example, and you're um, interacting with cryptocurrency, you might have to uh, you might have to log all of these transactions and and note um, like where and how how it's stored, and then give people full records. And and in the case of Zcash, uh, you know, you uh, and again, I, I haven't read the article, so I'm, I'm making some assumptions here, but my um, you know, if you have a shielded transaction between two parties, right? So I'm, uh, let's say I'm sending money to an exchange, and then I'm uh, trading, you know, trading that money for. Uh, I'm, so I'm sending uh, U.S. dollars to an exchange, and then I'm trading those U.S. dollars into Zcash, and then I'm sending Zcash out to a shielded address that I control. Um, on the exchange side, you definitely have to note like who I, you know, who I am. There's a lot of regulations behind that, and all of the KYC anti money money laundering laws for various different jurisdictions require that. Um, but then what's what's interesting is is because of the nature of the way shielded addresses work. If you do your due diligence as an exchange uh, on me as a person, and then as soon as um, as soon as uh, that money is sent to a shielded address outside of the exchange's purview. You report that that transaction went out, and that's and that's the extent of your liability because you really at that point it's as if you're taking, uh, you know, cash out from an ATM. You know, because you you as a bank you're you're not you know responsible for any of the future transactions of that cash after it's it leaves the ATM, right? Um, and the the beauty of the way um, you know Zcash transactions work and uh, shielded transactions, shielded uh, transactions to shielded addresses, I should say, um, and and the way that that a lot of other privacy um, approaches work for cryptocurrencies is, uh, you know, ultimately you um, you can't really if you're an exchange you can't really be responsible for what happens after that um, after that withdrawal because it's as if it turns into cash. Uh, and that, and that, I think, is like it's it's really a beautiful thing for people interacting with those regulations because they now don't have a, a degree of this this onus of data collection um, and liability in case uh, in, in case things things go you know things go wrong or there's a, a hack or something. Um, so that's that's my take on it. But I could be. Uh, I could be wrong. I should read that article. You should, but impressively, it sounds like you could have written it because everything you've said is is very much in line with what was what was actually contained. And it was more of like a series of articles. I think Forbes picked it up in a few other ways. I was interested in it because you know not only is everything that you're saying in my mind it's true. It's something we think a lot about as well. Is like how do you build a protocol that works both for the individuals that mm-hmm. are protected um but yep. also for the institutions right like yeah. institutions yeah. are are enormously liable as we're seeing for the data that they are uh keeping in these centralized locations and, and getting hacked like that's not a responsibility or liability that they that they actually want most of the time so privacy right. protocols have this massive benefit so yeah. everything you're saying about like the why you know totally yeah. makes sense to me it was just interesting yeah. to see somebody at a cryptocurrency project on either side right the company or the foundation mm-hmm. you know explicitly show how an existing regulation is something that they're compliant with mm-hmm. versus this um, this other attitude that we see a lot right which is how they're saying like we'd rather build a parallel universe because sure. the way the governments are regulating the space is so broken or because yeah. governments themselves can't be trusted it was just it, it was so interesting to see this kind of it it's it's healthier i would say yeah. in a sense it was just you know like well, my Why? my feeling is is sort of like uh, it's it's kind of to the response uh, that I that I gave regarding you know Bruce's critique is uh, you know por qué no los dos Why can't we do both You know like why not um, I, I think you know a lot of people will claim Oh no you know screw the government Like if anything if they make it illegal it'll only make it stronger And I think that's like kind of short sighted um, I, I think ultimately like 
like something like GDPR actually is is a great step forward for users' privacy in the in the EU because um, it really creates uh, it creates kind of a more accurate um, modeling of the liability that people have when they collect data that currently doesn't exist, uh, particularly in the U.S. Like um, a great example is like the Equa. Equifax um, hacks because mm-hmm. there's been more than one. Well, we like, throw that one around a lot on this podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's like constantly <laughs> referenced. But but it's one of those things where like I in no way really consented to that collection happening. Uh, they got a slap on the wrist, and um, and it's really upsetting to me, right? That 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 can happen. Um, and they the, the the amount like they, they don't view they view that data as an asset, that massive uh, data collection as an asset. And what I think is a really, um, you know, as uh, it's not perfect, but but something that I think is impressive about that regulation is that it it basically more it more accurately reflects what massive amounts of data should be considered on a company's you know uh, intangible balance sheet, which is a liability. It should be something that they are uh, liable and responsible for. And if they um, if if they uh, abuse that trust or if they are negligent in their um, uh, you know, in their uh, uh, upkeep of that data, and then it gets hacked. Like they, they should be held very, very liable. And so, uh, you know, the, when when that happens, and and that that becomes more of a cost center for these companies because of government regulation, I think you're going to see more and more companies start to embrace uh, some of these systems that basically make it easy for them to not have to collect any data while still providing the goods and services that they that they want to um you know and and that's you know in the case of uh enigma it's it's about computation right um in in the case of of zcash and uh, monero grin and and bitcoin and others it's it's about um trans you know financial transactions um but but when when those things are possible without having to give up um uh, without having to to basically have the the uh, uh, the company that is engaging in that transaction w- without forcing them to have to maintain that data liability, um, you know, I, I could see that being a really like uh, positive motivation for for them to uh, start embracing a lot of these systems, and and a lot of that can be can be put on uh, you know these government these government new government laws that that uh, really line up data as being a liability. So I think that. You, you you kind of do both. You just just go go and try and do both. Build a parallel system. Try to encourage uh, better government um, uh, regulations and laws that uh, really uh, uh, that that can you know proactively improve privacy for citizens. And and you, you do both simultaneously. Yeah, let's 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 talk about this then, because now we're getting very much into like the practical. You know what must we do? You know, there's the mm-hmm. there's the governing and and legislative side. But you know, you are Josh, the executive director of the Zcash Foundation. Your mission, in a sense, is to get as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. If if we agree that you know Zcash is a great solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know, at least has the potential to be a world-changing solution for for yeah. privacy, especially financial privacy. What's it yeah. really going to take to get like millions of people using Zcash? Like, I know this is a hard question to kind of answer, but like, how how do you calculate how many people are are really using Zcash right now? Well, that's a, I mean, that's an even <laughs> so it's a harder question to answer because of the nature of at least the the privacy features. Um, exactly. You know, like you can't, and and also, you know, it would be. Um, uh, like I, I think that particularly when it comes to data collection, like doing those sorts of, um, you know, census or, or surveys uh, amongst users, you have to handle quite delicately uh, because I don't want to be in a position to invade Zcash users' privacy just to give uh, give us a better view of like who's using and and how, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, there are there are certainly indicators uh, like in you know in terms of. Uh, um, uh, like exchange volume and available wallets and and support and that and that sort of thing and 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 you can see indicators of that moving in a in a like you know positive direction in the Zcash case, um, but I think it's really what it's going to take is uh, honestly like a lot of a lot of UX improvements um, uh, more than anything else and I'm sure that's a common theme that you hear a great deal about but. Um, and it's you know something I'm sure like Jameson must have talked about when it came to uh, Casa because uh, what they're doing is phenomenal uh, you know based on my uh, limited experience with them but they're really trying to make it uh, as user friendly as possible to be a, a sovereign individual and I think it's remarkable uh, the progress that they've made 
Um, but you know, it's it's the kind of thing where um, that takes a lot more responsibility, and it's a mode of thinking that's that's difficult for folks. And and the UX uh, for a lot of that is is still just not really well developed. Um, and particularly when it comes to uh, you know interacting with any sort of uh, blockchain payment, you know, public blockchain payment, because it just doesn't work the way that people are used to financial transactions working. And things get even you know, wonkier when you start talking about layer two stuff. I'm a huge like lightning network fan and I'm a, uh, a, a big fan of that uh, approach to scaling uh, cryptocurrencies out just to make it technically feasible. Um, but it, it certainly adds its own, a whole new, in addition to adding a whole new layer on top of the protocol, it adds a whole new layer of UX challenges as well, you know? Um, and, and, and that's like, I, I think that is probably the most, uh, that's predominantly the the most difficult thing um, that uh, I think we as a as like a, an ecosystem you know really really need to solve. Um, and and once that's solved, I, I think it's it's a matter of like having uh, having users understand the benefits um, more acutely about having uh, private private payments um, and private private transactions. And you know it's it's not just unique to Zcash. It, it's really uh, about using privacy features on any on any cryptocurrency, like I think it's important for us to uh, highlight and underline why why that's important. Um, and you know, it's really going to take a lot of like I, I think eventually it'll take a lot of services cropping up that uh, that uh, enable people to uh, engage in private transactions and really like have those users benefit from them, right? Uh, uh, so a, a good example of that is. Um, uh, you know, in the Zcash case, there's uh, least authorities uh, uh, has a um, a like subscription service for storage uh, where you can subscribe, and by just using the memo field in shielded transactions in Zcash, you can auto renew your subscription uh, without having to like ever reveal anything about your personal information. So you don't need to like put in you know a credit card or worry about your uh, subscription going going out, you can just set it up and and go. And it's a draft protocol at the moment, but it's a really ingenious use of um, of that memo field and of shielded shielded payments. And I and I expect that um, as more people um, you know see the benefit to that sort of approach to web commerce, you're going to see uh, more adoption. Um, you know, because I I think like you know one of the things that really I was enamored with uh, when I first discovered Bitcoin so many years ago was. Uh, you know, as a as a developer, I could go on and and build a website with a complete commerce flow and never ask for a user's you know account information. I never have to uh, ask them to set up an account or anything like that. And I could maintain a real minimal um, you know a real a real minimal amount of information about my users. And that uh, to me as like an individual developer was super powerful. Uh, and I think uh, to to really get this stuff to catch on. You're going to need more services to, to uh, both appreciate that and and demonstrate that value proposition to users as well. So we've got UX, we've got services, you know, but we're we're always going to push up against. It's such a weird problem to have. I mean, we have it generally as a space, which is that we've done a, a poor job of sort of setting up metrics for these decentralized protocols and projects, like just sort of universal metrics that we can use <laughs> to evaluate the adoption of that mm -hmm. protocol or product. There's, there's mm -hmm. no real consensus. And the, some of these protocols are so mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Maybe there shouldn't be. Sure. And Zcash in particular has an interesting problem because it's a privacy protocol. You're not right. really supposed to be able to measure this stuff precisely. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's creating, I think, just sort of – because. You know, you, you said it yourself, like one proxy is you can kind of see what's happening on exchanges. You can look at volume. You could look at price. Uh, but that's kind of the only universal metric that a lot of people have. And it seems to yeah. be a very poor metric for a lot of sure. projects is just being able to look at the, the price of the associated crypto asset or something like that doesn't really tell a story about adoption or the value to the individual using it or even to the future trajectory uh, of that project, and especially, it doesn't really tell a story about its decentralization. Yeah. So let me let me ask you. You know, again, as as Josh and at the Zcash Foundation, what do you specifically think you can do and the foundation can do to tell the story better, like around like the metrics that we should be using to evaluate 
protocols like Zcash and adoption of Zcash. And, you know, how does that relate to what you might feel is your mission on the on the education side overall, just like teaching people about what this stuff is? How do we measure it? How do we use it? Like this is all very, very critical to what you do. Yeah. So that that's a great question. And I, I probably don't have a completely satisfactory answer, but I'm going to try because um, I really like on the metric side, I think that's still largely there are a lot of things that are just unknown um, that in terms of how we can really measure the impact and and the value to to end users. There are certain proxies, like you said, that um, are that are certainly measurable but not really satisfying, right? So pri- price is definitely one of them uh, when it comes to the you know, price of of ZEC of of Zcash. Um, but then there there are other things that are like much more concrete that I know uh, that. Prima facie will have um, a a positive effect on um, like uh, distributing power in the Zcash ecosystem um, that I know that we can do on the on the foundation side and some of that we've already uh, done so um, you know the uh, we funded this uh, GUI wallet uh, Zec QT wallet um, that was started by an independent developer that uh, is now um, uh, we've kind of kind of put it under the foundation umbrella as like a an official GUI reference wallet. We have another GUI uh, reference wallet that we're working on concurrently and giving more people options um, beyond just uh, what the company or other or other user or other, you know, wallet makers provide is, is like a, a positive step in that direction for providing a degree of, of decentralization. Another more controversial, uh, particularly in the cryptocurrency community, uh, way of, of ensuring more decentralization is actually having... Um, having our own um uh like our, our own software implementation of of uh, zcash d uh which we've partnered with parity to to uh, develop one based off of their uh parity bitcoin uh, code base um so they're going to be building a rust implementation uh of of zcash completely rust based that we are going to take over uh and and also contribute to while they're working on it um, and that uh, and that will be an independent consensus compatible node uh, compared to what the company you know company operates, uh, and that again will offer uh, a degree of of almost like power sharing and and more. Uh, again, I, I I hesitate to use the the term decentralization, but um, really like just more um, more power in another uh, software implementation uh, outside the company, and that will have a measurable positive effect. Um, on on uh, on I think the the quote unquote decentralization of of the of the Zcash protocol. Um, so yeah, th- there are other pieces too in terms of like uh, how we do um, process like the Zcash Im- improvement proposal or the Zcash improvement process um, zips, which is you know kind of uh, 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 borrowed from Bitcoin with their bips and. Ethereum with their EIPs. Um, so yeah. there's, there's, but zip is so good. Yeah. Zip is, it, it feels, you almost you have to put a dot in front of it, like dot zip. Uh, it's <laughs> well compressed information, but yeah, the, the, uh, the, the process is, I think something that we could, um, both contribute more to and also, uh, hold the, the company accountable for, um, uh, for really being more clear about what they propose on, their roadmap and having like community input um, into into their roadmap as well. So there's there's stuff like that where, where I know we as the foundation can have a measurable impact. Although as as we both have kind of uh, said before, it's like it can be very difficult to measure what that impact might be. And I don't have good answers for for measuring it um, at at the moment, except that uh, that. Uh, I, I know that those those steps are part of of getting to that point of of having a more um, uh, you know a more uh, equally distributed power um, uh, distribution uh, amongst people who contribute to Zcash. Well, the nice thing about having these kind of open questions is that they provide avenues for further work and further con- further conversation and further education. Yeah. And you know, for it's sure. nice to know that there's so many sort of unsolved issues, even just in how we sort of measure our success in this space, where it's like we've already done so much without even being able to concretely say how much we've done. 
Yeah. Uh, to me, that's more encouraging than anything. But, you know, it, it's good to see that you've considered the challenge that you face. You have a humble approach to the magnitude <laughs> of that problem and challenge. And, and you do have a very clear eyed, I think, view on specifically how the foundation can contribute versus the Zcash company, how developers in the ecosystem can contribute either by, you know, like developing wallets and improving other aspects of the user experience. It's all super encouraging. I can't wait to see how the Zcash ecosystem evolves going forward. Obviously, I've got a close eye on it uh, and will continue to do so. For members of our listening audience who want to keep an eye on what the foundation is doing or what's happening with Zcash, where can they go? Where can they read, learn more, kind of keep their eye on everything that's happening and, and maybe start using it themselves if they haven't? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, uh, the, for, for the foundation side, uh, you know, just point them to our website, zfnd.org. Org, uh, and and then our you know Twitter handle is just Zcash Foundation as well. Those are great stepping stones. Um, and then seeing you know to, like as we've as we sort of talked to and alluded to, um, Zero Coin Electric Coin Company or Zcash Company is still the the real like primary um, builder of the protocol, uh, and they're the you know primary steward. But that's that's uh, going going to change. But in the meantime, if they want to learn more about what the company is up to, they can also just go to z.cash on the web as well. Awesome. Well, if you are listening and you want to know more about any of this stuff uh, on both sides, uh, definitely check out all those resources. Um, And it's going to be really interesting to see how many other projects in the space sort of follow this model for decentralization. One of the things that we consistently explore on Decentralize This is what people have chosen to decentralize, you know, whether it's a DAP choosing to still use a centralized data solution Mm -hmm. or if it's a project, you know, that is still a, you know, decentralized and centralized components to the ecosystem sort of working in tandem. I'm always fascinated by those dynamics. I don't think we've seen the end of innovation there. And I think it remains to be seen what the what the healthy model is for long term growth. All I can say is I think what you guys are doing is working. So keep it up. Thanks. Thanks, Tor. Yeah, and to- totally agree. I'm I'm glad that there's so many different experiments and avenues, and I'm excited to be able to participate in one. Well, uh, good luck with your continued participation. Uh, and uh, Josh, again, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure having you on. Yeah, likewise. Pleasure being here. Thanks for having me, Tor.